0: mph sports podcast talk sport and property with sports people discussing their careers and how property played a part in it savannah marshall welcome to talk sport and property how are you i'm
1: good i'm really good best and foremost thank you very much for having me on
0: Thank you for coming on. It's great to see you. We've known each other for a little while now, so I was desperate to get you on the pod. Thank you for accepting. So I know you've probably listened to every single episode that we've done on Talksport and Property Savannah, but just to remind you of the process, we are going to talk about your career, and then we're going to ask you some, hopefully some fairly awkward questions, and then we're going to go into my favourite subject, which is property, as you know. So let's start Savannah, born in Hartlepool, 29 years of age, nicknamed the Silent Assassin, 10 professional fights, 10 wins, 8 by knockout, and you stand before me right now as the current WBO middleweight champion of the world. Now that must feel pretty good.
1: It does actually. (laughs) It really does. To be honest, it might sound uh, big-headed, but I've just changed my bio on my Instagram to champion of the world. And I was thinking, God, it's mental even just seeing it. It's, it's crazy. The whole world and I'm the champion.
0: I know. Well, am I going to see this belt at some point?
1: It's it's in the gym. I train in Huey Fury's gym and he's got like a massive cabinet. <laughs> I've got it put in the gym. But the reason why, because it was only under my bed. So at least in the gym, people can see rather than just being hidden away. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're just dust collectors, aren't they, I think. They're just... Like, all your, like, you know we are kids. Like, the a treasure to them now, but by the time they get over, I don't know, 18, they're just in a box in the loft.
0: Yeah. Let's take you back to the beginning. When and where did you start boxing and why?
1: So I first started... I was 11 when I first went to the gym. I was always dead sporty and um, dead active. And it was just through friends. I'm, I'm, I'm from quite a rough estate in Hartyville. Um, I've always But I've always been really quiet. I've always been the type where I'd never go out with my friendship group. I've never liked being the centre of attention. Parties, anything like that. I'm the one who's just in the corner, like, thinking, "Man, please take me home. And I don't know what the interest was with boxing because no one in my family's ever boxed my dad's hasn't got a violent bone in his body it, i I've never I, before I'd went I'd never watched boxing or anything like that. closest I'd ever come was me and my younger brother just used to fun fight and then that was closest to violence so to speak I'd, I'd, I'd ever been but um so one of me one of my friends' neighbors box and. I remember him. I always tell the story. I remember him running up the street with a, a little plastic trophy, boxer saying, "Look, I have one! Look, I have one!" I remember thinking, "Oh, I want a trophy. I want to. I want uh, win one of them trophies." So that's the reason why. Why I started just to just to win a little plastic cup.
0: You started at eleven, so I think you started training at a club called Headland. Is that right?
1: I did. Heart called Headland.
0: Yeah. Were there many other girls there, sort of your age, or were there any girls there full stop?
1: Well, ironically, the club was actually called Pool Headland Boys Club. Mm-hmm. Headland Boys Club, it was called, and um, I was quite lucky because at the time there was a kind of there was a female boxer, and she was basically she was the pinnacle of female boxing in in England, and she was actually from my hometown. She was called Amanda Coulson. So actually, before I'd started, I'd told me mum I wanted to go, and Amanda was fighting, so she took me along to see Amanda. I think she was hoping it'd put me off. Anyway, I watched Amanda fight, and I remember thinking, "Well, I remember saying, 'Oh, I want, I want to go, I want to go.'" So anyway, I went along, and the coach called Tim, Tim Coulter. I remember, I remember going in and saying, "Oh, can I join?" And I remember him half shouting at me, saying, "Well, if you if you've just come to mess about, you can leave now." And I remember thinking, "Oh God, the strict in here," but Tim had openly saying now that. He didn't want me there. If anything, I was just a hindrance. There was no other females in the club. Um, like I said, he just seen me as a hindrance. He didn't want me there. And then after a while, I, you know, he'd come to the gym and I'd be the first one there, stood outside waiting for it to open. I'd be the last one to leave the gym. Sometimes I'd I'd be the only one that would turn up. And like I said, even even inspiring. I think he half wanted the boys to give me a bit of a hiding so that I'd get upset and not come back. But if anything, it would give me an hiding and I'd give them, you know, give them just as good back. So if anything, it made me want it more. You know, I loved it. I loved the environment. I loved the gym. I loved, I'm very competitive, very competitive. And the thing I liked about it was everything was a competition. Who could hit the bag the most? Who could do the most press-ups? So that that I think that's what initially drew me into the sport.
0: Wow! Because I think that when you was part of Headland and you were going around to other gyms looking for more sparring partners, other managers of those clubs they weren't always letting you get involved, were they?
1: Yeah. So there's a, there's a story where I was only about fourteen, and just going back, I, I loved everything about training. But if there was anything I didn't love, it was the sparring. And I believe that was because I had to win. And if I didn't win or I'd get caught with a couple of shots, I'd go home and I'd sulk and it'd play on my mind and I'd beat myself up. I was only, I was only 13. So if anything, I it was sparring I didn't like. So every Sunday we used to go to another club sparring and we went to a club in Sunderland and I remember walking in and I remember the coach pointing at me and saying, what's that? And was thirteen years old, and I just pretended I didn't hear. I just looked away, and it wasn't Tim the coach that I took. It was a different coach, and he said, "Well, it's our female, it's our female fighter," and he was like, "There's no females allowed in here. It's 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 a boys' club. Girls aren't allowed. She's not allowed to spar." So I wasn't I wasn't allowed to spar. But at the time, if anything, I just thought, "Well, I didn't want to spar anyway." I don't like sparring, that's what, that's what I thought. And if anything, I thought, oh yeah, thank God, I could just watch. But I always think back, anybody else who didn't have that mentality would have just thought, I shouldn't be here, I shouldn't be doing this. Like I said, when he first pointed at me saying, what's that? And I just looked away, like, how demoralising that, is that for a, for a young 13 year old girl in a gym full of, full of men and boys?
0: Was this something that you shared with your parents
1: about? No, I was dead quiet. I never told, I never, I never told my mum and dad nothing. Like I said, if anything, I've seen it as a plus because I didn't want to spar. The upside of that is that club now has had multi-female champions. Wow. Yeah, so I don't know what happened to that coach. <laughs> but like I said, they've, uh, they've excelled in, well in female boxing.
0: Well, like, clearly you had this, you know, burning desire and love for the sport. And you positioned yourself to compete as an amateur in the 2010 World Championships in Bridgetown, Barbados, winning the silver medal at only 19 years of age. You remember the trick well?
1: Yeah, I do, because I, I always joke with my friends and family saying I've never had a real job because you could say because I love what I do. But I left college at the age of 18. I did a sports course, B-Tech diploma in sport. And then when I would left at 18, I got scouted for the GB squad. So I literally went for college to train full-time at the Institute of Sport in Sheffield, where we'd be there Monday to Thursday. Now, bearing in mind, I'm from, I'm from quite a deprived area in Hartlepool. We never had nothing. I think holidays, it'd be like, you know, Magaluf every, or not, IB, well, like cheap, spainy holidays type of thing. Um, and anyway, I got selected to go to the World Championships. And the pre-camp was in Miami, and the tournament was in Barbados. So I remember just thinking, wow, do you know, this is amazing. I'm getting paid to do what I love, and I'm travelling the world for free. So
0: it was it was just crazy. So what happened at the Championships? How long were you there for? How many fights did you have?
1: So I was, yeah, I was 19. So in the world of boxing, that's considered a baby. You're still a baby. I think you turn senior at, at 18, where you can. But then you're boxing women who are in the 30s, being on the circuit for years. So really, I don't think anyone expected me to do anything. I'd won, a, I'd won the Europeans as a as a youth, and I think I'd won a couple of multi nation championships before then before I'd went to Barbados. Like I said, there was no pressure on me. I don't think anyone expected me to win anything. Anyway, I ended up getting to the final. And I think I'd had four or five fights in a week. So it was pretty heavy duty. And then I got the final, I boxed an American. And I ended up losing 5-4, so I'd lost by a point. But like I said, it it was just crazy. It was I, I never once thought... I would even do anything. If anything, I was just living in the moment, thinking, oh, God, I'm going to bit i say, yeah. We were boxing and then gone, sitting by, by the pool on the afternoon. It was it was just a really good trip.
0: I was going to say, it wasn't that bad, was it?
1: What <laughs> no, it wasn't. I, I remember thinking, wow, do you know what? 19-year-old, this is amazing.
0: If you're thinking it's that good then, I can imagine that really just giving you that extra drive and determination to, to reach out to the next one because the following year you won bronze in Rotterdam in European Championships before heading to China to compete in the AIBA Women's World Boxing Championships where you actually won gold. I mean your first gold medal was it and what did that success and the experience before do for your confidence at still at such a, a young age?
1: Well like I said i uh... It was just, I never really thought about the magnitude of it. I, I just loved boxing. I never thought about what was going on around me or what could manifest after. So I remember the Olympics had just been announced for 20, uh, sorry, boxing had just been introduced in the Olympics for 2012. So because it was all on you, there was only 12 spaces. And because they consider it a world games, so there was like only three boxes from Europe, three from the Americas like that. So the only qualifying event was the World Championships. But the way it worked out at the time, the strongest continent at my weight was Europe. So I remember even in the quarterfinals, there was something like six of them were from Europe. So, you know, you could have had an African who'd been beaten the first round, but qualified for the Olympics because she was got the furthest out the Africans. Um, And then there's... Like I said in in the quarters, there's like six of us who are all from Europe still battling for that like one of them three spots, so it ended up happening that I had to get to the final to secure my place for the Olympic Games, which was crazy because, like I said, there was people who qualified in in the prelims, but it just so happened, the final had taken place on my twenty first birthday. I always think oh and when people say, What did you do for your year 21st? I can say I became a world champion. Yeah.
0: So the next challenge was the 2012 London Olympics. Can you talk us through how you felt about representing Great Britain? Your expectations, because clearly you're quite hard on yourself. And what happened?
1: So I remember I remember qualifying. It was like, wow, finally. It, like I said, the the I get so far and I kept saying, oh, you only have to get the quarters. And then I get the quarters and it was like, you have to get semi. So it was just a massive relief. But then with all that came this immense pressure, you know, being the shy, quiet girl. I was the favourite, the favourite for the Olympic gold medal. And because I was the number one, I'd got a bye to the quarters, I think. So really I only had to win one fight for the medal, uh, for a bronze. And it. it I just became so... Over can really at the time. Looking back now, I, I didn't know anything about mental health or. It's only now everyone's speaking about it. But looking back now, I think I was just riddled. I was just riddled with anxiety over it. I had people coming up to me saying, oh, "I've just put a thousand pound on you to win gold," in just this wave of, "Oh my God, what if I don't win gold? What if, you know, what if I'm not good enough?" But I was good enough because. The 12 people who'd qualified for the Olympic Games, I'd beat eight of them, you know, three months prior. So it, it just became this this just awful experience, even being in the village, walking around, seeing Usain Bolt and mixing with these people. And it was just, I, I just couldn't handle it. It just, like, I didn't have the skills or the mindset to turn this, and this, this wave of emotion and were positive to enjoy it. I absolutely hated it, hated it, um, and I remember I drew a Kazakhstan girl. And to be honest, I've only just watched that fight in the in the first lockdown. That many years after, I've only just watched it, and there's no way I got beat in that fight. I admit I didn't box nowhere near me best, but I didn't lose. But then I always counteract it and think, well, if I did win could I have handled all, everything that had come with it? Because I was still this quiet girl, I would never, I would never have done this. i would, No way would I have never done this. And I probably said, yeah, then turn my phone off this morning so you couldn't contact me. Yeah, so I ended up getting beat. And for me, it was just, the feeling was, oh, thank God that's over. That was how I felt, that was how I felt. It wasn't, oh, I threw it away, it was, thank God that's over. I don't have to go through that again. And all my family and friends had come down to watch. And I literally got beat, went back to the village, packed my bag and come home. I remember being, and my sister rang me, was like, right, wait there, I'll meet you. I'll come home with you. And I remember, I'll never forget this. I remember driving up the M1 or A1. My sister was in the passenger seat. And I remember looking at her and saying, oh, thank God that's over. Thank God I can go home a Little Hartley pool." Do you know, I had a chance to change my life and I just wanted to go back to this little depressing town called Artie But like I said, I, I always had ways of counteracting it. So I was, I was very good mate with Nicola Adams at the time and she won gold, obviously. And I remember, I remember she was getting all this sponsorship. People were giving her cars. I remember someone gave her a Rolex. And I remember thinking, oh, I wish I had a Rolex. I wish I had a nice car. But then on the flip side... She be doing things for comic relief, doing going on the Graham Norton show, and I remember thinking, well, I couldn't have done that. I couldn't think now worse of do, than doing that. So in a way, I believe the way it happened built me up and made me a stronger person because I don't believe that I could have ever handled being a gold medalist at that time.
0: That's really interesting. Wow. Thank you for being so honest and transparent. You know, I was going to ask you a couple of other questions around that, but now I'm, I'm glad I'm not. I guess you probably used how you felt and how you experienced the London Olympics when two years later you competed in the Commonwealth Games, winning gold and becoming Commonwealth champion. How did you handle that?
1: <laughs> well, th- this is the, the crazy thing about it. So I got beat. In them Olympics and it, then I'd always go to a tournament and I'd win again and I'd box unbelievable no one would get near me and I think I think well I am good enough I know I know I've got the skills so really it was like I'd have the talking about mindset I'd have the mindset where, oh I'm gonna get beat what if I get beat and then on the flip side it'd be like oh well yeah yeah I am one of the best in the world because I've won this Do you know so it was constantly up and down up and down but yeah, winning, winning the Commonwealth in Glasgow to me was like a mini Olympics mm-hmm. because it was in front of all my family and friends again. So it was kind of, I had the chance to put them demons to, to rest. So, because I always felt that I wasn't battling the opponent. I was battling the emotion and stuff around it. So like I said, the pressures of your family and friends watching, the pressures of what if I lose? So it wasn't what was in front of me. It was kind of what was around me and what was going in my head that, that um, was the biggest fight for me.
0: Are you not mentally prepared for what is about to happen if those fights became victories and what would happen to your life beyond that?
1: So we all, on GB, we always had a, a psychologist. I think it's one of them where if you're not going, saying, look, why am I struggling? But like, like I said, I, my personality—I was very quiet. I never spoke about anything. So it was one of them. I think everyone thought I was going to win the gold. Everyone thought everything was 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 fine, and, and they would do because, like I said, I'd won the—I was a world champion. I was the favorite going into the, the tournament. So why why would they not? Um, until disaster hit, and it was like, oh my god, she she struggles with her red. Why isn't she prepared? So that I think. You don't really know until these things happen.
0: Next up, you qualify for Team GB and you head to Rio for the 2016 Olympic Games. What happened there?
1: So, from 2012 to 2016, that was the hardest four years of my life. And I, that was when I started to fall out of love with boxing. So, it got to the point where I'd win a taunt like the Commonwealth Games. I'd get injured, need an operation, six months out, come back, win a tournament or get beat off someone who wasn't on my level. Because although boxing is one of them sports where it's not like any other, other sport, the results in other people's hands. So you've got three judges and if it's not like football, you know, you score for, for against two, you've won. And boxing, if then judges don't think you've won, then... You know, the victory's out of your hands, the result's out of your hands. So I was going to tournaments half-hearted, not bothered because I'd been on the system forgetting, for getting nearly six years at this point. And it's, you're boxing the same people, going to the same countries, same tournaments. And you can't, you, you do lose that. Miami, Barbados, wow, this is, this is great feeling. So I started getting beat off, for throwing results away, not enjoying it. And it just became, it became a job. I was just getting paid and it was like, right, well, you know, if I, if I don't turn up to training, then, you know, I won't get paid. So that, that's, that's how it become. And it got to the point where I remember there was a tournament in Spain and I got beat off my rival, my, my British rival, who was Welsh. She was the number two, I was the number one. And I believed I won that fight, but she got the decision. And straight away, I remember getting back to the hotel, throwing me stuff, getting ready. I was thinking, right, I think Ch- Chantel Cameron, was we sharing a room with Chantel Cameron and Nicola Adams. And I think they'd both got beat or something and throwing my stuff in the corner. I think, right, come on, girls, let's get ready. Let's go out. That's how it had become. Whereas a couple of years pre- previous, I'd get beat. I'd sit and cry me out. But at this point, I, I didn't care anymore. It was, oh, well, do you know... Wasn't my fault, it was the judge's fault. And anyway, there was a coach there at the time called Amanda Grock, who'd known me since I was about 16. And for some reason, she was at this tournament. And I remember ba- banging on the door and saying, Right, come on, you, we're going for a walk. And I was like, Oh, no, Amanda, yeah, I- I'm getting ready. I'm going out. She was like, Come on, we're going for a walk. And we were walking down the beach and she'd kind of give me a they're telling off and was like, do you actually want to qualify for these Olympics? Because the way you're going on, you're not going to. And I was like, oh, well I do. Yeah. She was like, look, you, you've, you've got a second chance. You've got a second chance. So anyway, I kind of got my act together and I'd qualified, I qualified, I got myself a bronze medal in the Wales, which was probably the best result I'd, I'd had in two years. And um, so I proved I was still one of the best in the world. Um, got myself to Rio, Boxed a Swede in the first round, beat her, and I box the second round. I again, it was for a medal. I boxed my nemesis from Holland, and she'd won. Can't remember the score, but oh, it was the rounds. They t- changed the scoring system, so it wasn't points anymore. It was round. And I think she'd won three rounds to one. But like I said, there was a, there was a lot of controversy over scoring at the time. There was there was a big thing going on. Was, I don't know, people out there know Mick Connellan of Ireland he got beat off a of Russian and he kicked off massively. He took his vest off in the ring. There was, it was all over the news. And one of my fights was actually in the press for being one of them controversial fights where a lot of people would have said I'd have won. The scoring wasn't fair. So that's how that ended. Um, and then I, quite funnily enough, I remember watching a film the other day and it was, it was about uh, someone competing in the winter Olympics. And I remember saying, oh, you know, the, the West position to come is fourth. And I remember thinking, well, I've got two fourth place certificates at home. <laughs> Try and beat that.
0: Under the bed collecting dust.
1: Yeah, cool. it is. <laughs> I haven't brought myself around to the frame them yet. Yeah. Um, Savannah, in, in
0: 2017, you decided to come pro. You signed for the legend that we know, Floyd Mayweather. What made you make that decision at that point of your career?
1: So after 2016, I'd had enough. Like I said, it'd been an awful four years and I, I didn't enjoy boxing no more. I just didn't. So I was at the point where it was female boxing, pro boxing wasn't really a thing. And I remember thinking, right, well, I don't want to wait four years for Tokyo. I don't enjoy it. I can't do it no more. It doesn't make me happy. So I'd left the programme. I'd left the Olympic programme and I had no ambition to turn pro. I never did. And anyway, mutual contacts had got in touch with me and said, oh, look, Savannah, Mayweather Promotions, want to offer you a pro contract. What do you think with your, with your pro debut on the Mayweather-McGregor undercard? And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, someone up there doesn't want me to quit. It's a sign. I just remember thinking, the money team, this is it. I'm set for life. Wow. It was to move to America, train in the Mayweather gym, they offered me a car, an apartment, all this, and I just bit their hand off. I remember thinking, wow, you know, like I said, it's a sign. So I um, ended up going going over to America, realising how brutal professional boxing can be. You know, there was a lot of broken promises, a lot of broken promises. And although I live in in America, the, the business side... It just wasn't for me. Like I said, it was a lot of broken promises. It cost me more money being there than what I earned. So it wasn't so much the money team. I ended up coming home six months
0: later. Out of interest, and we'll get get to that point of what you did next, but how did that proposition come about? What was promised? And if you don't feel comfortable answering this, this is fine. (laughs) But what was promised and what was unbroken? Because I I think of the Savannah at 19 who was worried about the hype and maybe those decisions back then or the outcomes back then was probably for the right reasons. Now you're chucking yourself into the lion's den in front of Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor in Nevada with millions of people watching around the world. You win. Correct? You win yeah, fight. Yeah. Surely there's hype after, more sponsorship opportunities. What was all the promises? Why didn't that why didn't that work out? And who was around you at the time to advise you on this?
1: When I'd accepted this contract from Mayweather, I remember I think I had six weeks till my debut. I was still living in England. I'd sold my house, sold my car, ready for this big move, this big life. Life-changing opportunity. And the contact, I remember being on the phone phone with him saying, Oh, look, I've never trained in a pro gym. I've never trained with a pro coach. Although it's the same sport, it's it's completely different, amateurs and pros. So at the time he was like, Oh well, look, I've got one of my fighters training in Peter Fury's gym, sparring with Fury. And he said, You're more than welcome to come down and he'll show you you know, little bits and bobs or whatever. So I remember going down in Bolton and Tommy Fury was there. And I asked, he put me in with Tommy. And I remember Peter saying to Tommy, who was his uncle, you dare touch air, don't you dare lay a glove on air. And I remember thinking, oh, this is going to be easy. This, I'm going to absolutely batter him. That spa was my introduction to pro boxing. I absolutely couldn't lay a glove on him. He was slipping, sliding, rolling. He had his hands down and I, I couldn't have hit him with a handful of rice. And I, I remember getting frustrated and anyway, I would got out the ring and Peter was laughing. He was like, oh, I'll teach you, teach you little bits and bobs. So he, he invited me back and I did my whole six-week camp with Peter Fury before I went to America. But in them six weeks, he'd say little stuff to me like, look, don't get caught up in all this 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 crap. He was like, Pro boxing, it's a cruel world. You know, just look after yourself. Don't, if it's not in writing, it's, you know, don't believe it's going to happen. People are only after money in the pros, this and that. So, like I said, I was promised my own place, my own apartment, but obviously me being naive and not having a clue it wasn't in writing and this and that. And I was promised fights. I remember being over there the six months that I was there. And I trained for two or three fights and they didn't come off. And being on GB, you get paid monthly because you're you're lot refunded. So it's a lot refunded. It's tax-free, which is great. And in the pro world, if you don't fight, you don't get paid. So obviously, I had my debut. I'm training for these fights that I'm promised and they're just not happening. They're just falling through. So yeah, like I said, I... The money I earned through my debut, so I'd, I'd, I'd spent within a couple of weeks. Felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. This big dream just kind of didn't happen for me.
0: So you teamed up with Hennessy Sport the following year, 2018. That was a that was a big year for me, right? Now I'm going to try and get these names correct. Correct me if I'm wrong. So you beat both Esther Konenka and Alexandra. Alea, is that right? Before setting up a fight against Argentina's Janina Roscoe for the vacant WBA intercontinental super middleweight title in Bulgaria. Was this the first belt you had your sights on? And how confident was this Savannah Marshall going into this fight?
1: So I owe a lot of who I am today, Peter. I don't know if you're big on furies anyway, but I couldn't actually say what it is, but I think it's just the way they are. Mm. Like, nothing's impossible. Do you know, they just speak with this this confidence, and especially with Peter. Do you know, I come, I come to Peter with opponents all the time, and I'd say, or even in sparring, and I'd be like, well, Peter, if she does this, what do I do? And he'd be like, well, no problem. You know how to do this, so this would work. Like, there's nothing... There's, there's no one's unbeatable. Nothing's impossible, and I think over the years and the, the years that I've been with them, even that short six weeks that I trained for my debut, I think Peter really rubbed off on me. And I, I like I said, I owe a lot of who I am today to Peter.
0: Your relationship with Hughie, mm-hmm. um, I see some of the cruel crazy training regimes that you guys have to go through what's your relationship with him like
1: so i think obviously it's no secret that the the whole fury family are from like a traveling background so for me i always think god what would it must have been like not just for peter but for huey to have you know just a girl in the gym whereas we've got this persona i'm not this is not like peter and huey anyway but the whole travelling persona is, you know, men go to work and the women stay at home type thing. So I, I do think like what it must have been like for Hughie, just for this girl to be in the gym, you know, hitting the bag next to him. And he's got he's got sisters, he's got a couple of sisters, Hughie, as well. And but no, he's, thing is that they've always been respectful, always looked after me, they've never treated me no different. You know, so that they, they've they've really took me in even Peter. I see I do see Peter as a bit of a father figure.
0: yeah, um,
1: yeah and even Huey the, the I saw training Huey's gym, now he's got his own gym. And he he has he's, he's he's always, you know, he's letting me train in his gym, he's letting me use all the facilities and stuff, and he, he's quiet, Huey. Huey reminds me of like the big giant gentleman. He never says a bad word about anyone, he just put gets his head down, does his thing, cracks on. And yeah, it's great because we, the training is hard. It's really hard and you know, knowing that someone's going through it with you, yeah.
0: Well, next time I'm in Checham and see this gym.
1: Yeah, you'll have to, you'll have to. I
0: want to fast forward your next four fights because this now sets you up for a WBO middleweight title opportunity against fellow Brit Hannah Rankin at the Wembley Arena. Did you feel that everything that you had done since the age of 11 years of age when you fell in love with boxing was going into this fight?
1: No, not really. I felt, I've always, this is crazy because if you'd have asked me four years ago, do I believe in myself? I'd have said no. But since I've turned pro and I've been with Peter, it's, I've, never, I've never doubted myself. I've never doubted my ability. And I know how good I am. And I remember thinking, why aren't I getting my opportunity? I'm seeing other girls box and get world titles. And I I used to think, well, they're not on my level. Why are they getting opportunities that I'm not? It it took a long time for this opportunity to come along. I was meant to fight for the WBO light heavyweight title in the match, just before lockdown hit, two weeks before it got pulled. And I was meant to fight in June. That never happened. So when this this come about to fight for the middleweight title with Hannah, I remember training towards it, and then even week of the fight, Peter tested positive for COVID.
0: Oh, no. And it,
1: it got pulled again, it got, and I remember thinking, why is why, why is it always something against me? Which is a bit like when I was an amateur, I used to think, you know, I, I'm given this opportunity, this and that, but anyway, it, it got postponed two weeks later. Peter tested negative, so the fight got put on. Even then I remember being in the bubble, the fight bubble two days before and saying, Peter, a little bit of me doesn't think doesn't believe this is actually happening. And he was like, Well, you better, because it is. So yeah, when, when that happened and I'd won, I, I remember getting like quite emotional and thinking, God, finally, finally it's 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 happened for me. Nothing's gone wrong. It's happened.
0: And you recently returned a title against Maria live on Sky Sports, which we all watched, performed superbly, which we spoke about beforehand. What is next for the silent assassin?
1: So I'm fighting again in July. So I've had two weeks off, It everything in sight. I've had enough of being normal. <laughs> so I'm actually back in training. I'm fighting in July and I'm defending. No, I'm, I'm looking to unify the division. So get another belt.
0: Okay. And do you know who this is, or do you know? Are you allowed to share with us?
1: So at the minute, there's a there's a couple of po- an opponents flying about. Like I said, it's in July, so plenty of time. Just waiting to see which which one it'll be.
0: Okay. Well, I think I'd say on behalf of all British boxing fans, good luck. Continue doing what you're doing. You're absolutely smashing it. Right. We're now going to move on to a quick question. Fire round. You ready? Yeah, yeah, really. Okay. How many medals do you have?
1: Oh I'd say about fifty.
0: Okay. Your best friend in boxing.
1: Chantel Cameron, April Hunter. That to.
0: Why are you called the Silent Assassin?
1: I'm called the Silent Assassin because I was I'm not so much now, but I used to be so painfully shy. and um, we used to have media days at Sheffield on Team GB. And the would turn up and I'd just be one-wear dancers, yes. You're looking forward to the tournament, yes. Are you going to win gold? Yes. <laughs> and then I'd just, like, try and get it over with so I could just go back to uh, the apartment.
0: Do you have a pre-fight routine?
1: As an amateur, yes. I used to say a couple of Hail Marys. I used to have a can of Red Bull. Now, as a pro, I don't have any. I can honestly say I'm 10 fighters as a pro I've never felt nervous, I've never, and it's crazy. If anything, it's more excitement to show people what I can do.
0: Amazing. What is your entrance music and how do you decide on that?
1: So my entrance music is the rhythmic Sweet Dreams. And how that come about is one of my friends had made me a uh, film reel of me highlights as a pro. And for some reason he put that song, that song was the background. It got played, it got played, it was all over the internet. And then I thought, all right, I'm going to have to have that. And that's quite catchy. So yeah, that's, that's how that came about.
0: So what is the one thing that you have to compromise on to become the world champion?
1: So I'm world champion at middleweight. So I'm not a natural middleweight. I'm bigger than a middleweight. So when I'm actually fighting for a world title, I've got to have a strict diet, knowing that I can make that weight. Otherwise, if I don't, there's, there's there's no way I'd be able to make it.
0: So eating absolutely everything in the kitchen cupboard right now is probably not ideal for this, is it?
1: <laughs> I was actually saying to someone in, in, in this morning in the gym, I think I've got an eating disorder. <laughs> These that two weeks I had off, I was just shoving any, like, even if it was just butter and bread, just constantly shoving pe- things in my mouth, no that I've got a diet soon, so it was like, quick, get it all in. I've only got another day. And I think it is. It's like eating disorder.
0: I've killed Easter. I've been poor kids of mine. They didn't get in <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming you're a Hartlepool fan? Newcastle. Are you?
1: Actually, the two.
0: Do you go? Or did you go before lockdown? Yeah,
1: well, when I, uh, I've got an older sister, and there's quite an age gap. There's like a 13-year age gap. But she's been with her husband since he was since we were thirteen, so he's always been in my life. And he was a professional footballer, and he actually started out at Newcastle. So I always remember going as a kid and like watching him play.
0: If he wasn't a boxer, what would you be doing?
1: Well, I quite I'm quite practical. Like I like practical things, and I change even now. I'm I'm thirty next month, and even now I always think after boxing, I'm gonna do this. And then next week it'd be like, Oh, I'll be quite interested in that. I'm always changing, but I remember when I was um when I'd left school at 16, I was obsessed with the film flash stance. I actually wanted to be a welder. <laughs> so I remember going to college, I remember going to the open day, and I remember my mum being, Look, Savannah, there's no girls here, you'll have no friends. And I remember thinking, like, I remember going, oh, my mum, I really want to do it. And the course tutor brought something up about people having asthma. And she's like, right, that's it. You can't do what you've got asthma. And I, had, I actually had sports-induced asthma. But she was like, oh, she can't do what you've got asthma. And we I thought, I haven't. But who knows? I haven't a clue. So on your 30th birthday, life yeah. to be the centre of
0: attention now. You know that, right? Oh, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I remember...
1: Um, a couple of years, well, I was about 18. I'd won a sports award in the northeast, and all my family and friends had bought tickets and I was oh, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. Anyway, I was getting picked up at like seven o'clock from my brother-in-law who, who played for Newcastle and he came come to the door because all my family and friends had gone because it was a three-course meal, whatever. And he came come to the door and I was like, I was running. you ready? I was like, no, I'm not going. And I just shut the door and I never turned up. I just couldn't handle it's been centre of attention. Everyone looking. That's
0: funny. Who is your promoter?
1: My promoter is Matru Medihern.
0: And in light of the AJ Fury fight, I think I know the answer to this one. But who are you backing?
1: Well, to be honest, I seen AJ fight in December, and I remember thinking, "Oh God, he's made some changes. He's a lot more looser, a lot more." Because before he was quite stiff, quite stiff. And if you, any boxing fans out there, he used to kind of burn out after the fifth round. And I used to think it was because he was so stiff and tense, where well, he's a lot more looser now. But I do believe Tyson beat him quite comfortably, if not to stop him, just because of his movement and obviously the build up, you know, all that, the way he goes on. Can it, it draws you in.
0: Is it something you're going to be attending?
1: I'd love to attend. I would love to attend, but I don't think I could afford the a ticket. <laughs> Let's
0: wrap that up and I'll come back and talk property. Talk Sport and Property Podcast, sponsored by MPH Sports Property Academy. Download the app today from the App Store or Google Play by typing in MPH Sports, the trusted go-to app for sports people looking to buy or learn about property. Savannah, we met about eighteen months ago in Manchester. You very kindly came over to see me and my son Jamie um, in a restaurant, playing sort of pub games and stuff like that, which um, really very fondly. In fact, you and I were also going to meet a second time, but because you were going to be my my guest in a in a box at Old Trafford, and you last minute blew me out. Um, what happened that night? I can't remember now.
1: I can't remember to be fair. I was,
0: I was looking for the. To...
1: I think I was training.
0: You were training and maybe you were just running late, I think.
1: I'm not sure, I can't remember. I remember that though, because I remember you, you taking photos and I remember thinking, God, I've missed out big time here.
0: It is. Have a good night. <laughs> but no, i I know you have a passion for property. I mean, when did that appetite start and when did you first buy your or when did you buy your first property?
1: So I've, all, I've always to be honest, that sounds ironic, but I always liked homes under the hammer. I remember
0: you're looking at me as if you recognise me on this program. On <laughs> <laughs> <In> this program, <laughs> somewhere it'll be on. Yeah, good.
1: yeah. But I re- I remember walking home from school, and I remember that there was this old run down house, and it was like that for years. And I remember I was going past, thinking, "Oh, I'd love to look in there, or I'd love to do what they do on homes and the that Anyway, someone had bought it and done it all up, but because I used to walk past it every day. Only from the outside, I'd see like the changes and I remember thinking, oh, wow, that, that's amazing. Um, yeah, so I've all, always been interested. I, I bought my first house when I was 20, obviously being on the squad and getting paid. So bought my first house. It was literally 30-second walk from my mum's <laughs> round the corner. So, yeah, I ended up buying that and um, I'd done a little bit to it myself. Not, not personally, but knocked a couple of walls down and you know this and that and um, but yeah that, that was my my first property and like I said when I moved to America I sold it and then thinking I'd never come back come back six months later and even now I still can't drive past it because I think oh, that's my house there I shouldn't be in there.
0: How <laughs> oh, many sold that?
1: Well yeah because I was ready for the American dream wasn't I it was it was kind of right I'm not coming back this is it. New life. new <laughs> team. Out
0: of interest, how many do you have today? And how are they performing for you?
1: When I went to America, I'd obviously sold the house. And come in, I didn't think I'd come back. So I'd come back and I was like, right, well, I had no sponsors. I had no income. So I remember meeting up with a friend that I've got who's got a property, uh, she, a property management company. So basically she finds tenants for people. So she like, look, this is what you want to do. You want to get yourself a couple of little terrace houses and just rent them out rent them out that way. So I ended up wasn't earning a lot of money or anything like that, but it was just enough kind of to pay me petrol down Bolton every week or type thing. So it was quite a good investment because without that I'd have been I wouldn't have had a penny coming in. Mm-hmm. So the it was something working its way out in the background that I, I never had to think about. It was just, you know, a couple of hundred quid coming in coming in every month. Like I said, that would pay pay me fees for training.
0: How many have you got now? Is it two, three?
1: Uh, four.
0: You're four now. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. How are they
0: performing? Do you mind sort of telling us? Because from memory, one or two of these, you haven't got mortgages online.
1: No, no, but the the the, the nothing... They're just little terraced houses, and I'm from the northeast. Yeah. And obviously, from the north, hey, I mm-hmm. think in Hartlepool alone, you can buy you can buy a house for six grand in Hartlepool. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of it's it's cheap as chips, really.
0: The say the, the sixty thousand pounds that you've got, or the sixty thousand pound asset that you have, what sort of rent are you getting for that?
1: You can get about five hundred, five fifty a month. This is the thing I've learned. So with them type of properties, someone who's no disrespect to anyone, but someone who's working
0: mm.
1: wouldn't pay that much to, do you know, rent a house like like what it is, for instance. So you, you're more than likely to get someone in benefits who's getting the 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 rent paid for them. Do you know what I mean? Type thing. So I, I've I've had a not a lot, but I have had. Properties where I haven't been left in the greatest of states, and me being me, and it's my house. It's something I've invested in. It destroys me. I can't stand it. Do you know what I mean? And but it's part and parcel of it. It's it's the stress that comes with it. Like one of the houses that I bought, I was I actually I actually lived in it, so I didn't have to pay a stamp duty, and then. I moved out of there because I moved to Manchester and I'd rented it out, and I just couldn't handle the thought of having someone in my house. I think it was because I only I lived there for a couple of months, but it was like, oh, it's stressful. It is stressful. I don't know how people do it where they've got, you know, 15, 20 houses. It, it is, and finding the perfect tenants is hard. Yeah.
0: Really hard. I mean, you've been sort of following our progress in sport over the past few years. I mean, we're about to launch a facilities management program where we can actually take on athletes' portfolios and mouthpiece. Yeah. So we can handle any tenancy disputes. We can handle any tenancy renewals. We can handle the re- the control of the the new let that may happen in the future. And I th- and I think that it just takes away the pressure and the, and the potential burden of being a, a landlord because investment fun, you know. And it's I know it's helped you in your career, isn't it? Obviously during those, you earn your money from your flights or your or your um, sponsorships, like you said. But if you go through a bit of a, a flat spot where the income isn't coming in as, as what it would have done, you sometimes are going to have to rely on that on that income. You should just enjoy being an investor. That's what investors want to make their money perform better. Did you buy these properties in your name or did you buy them through like a separate property company?
1: Like I said, I didn't have a clue. I used to watch homes under the hammer. That is, I never knew anything about mortgages, anything. About, I never paid tax because I was lot refunded, so I never got taxed. So coming into this whole pro game, it was like, wow. I remember on my pro debut in America, taxes difference over there. I got emergency tax because I wasn't an American citizen. And I, I looked at my pay and I was like, oh my God, where is my money gone? And it, it was, do you know, it was kind of <laughs> a kick in the teeth. But, um, so has times gone on? For me, I'm that type of person where I have to learn myself. If I've got someone there saying, right, do this, do that. I, I kind of don't get it unless I'm reading it myself, looking and, and researching myself. So as time went on, I'd learned that having all that money, and you, you told me, to be fair, having all that money tied up in one property is no good because that one property could easily become three and you're earning three times as much money. So we were just saying previous that the first lockdown, I actually read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and then that's when it was like, right, I don't need all the money to buy the house. I can just put the deposit down and then get the mortgages. So actually, in the second lockdown, I actually done the C-Map, um mortgage course. Wow. But I'd, I'd, I haven't done the exams. So I've I'd, I'd done all the, the tests. Well, done all the, what would you call it, studying and stuff. So I'm only, I've only got to look at the exams, but... It, it was me teaching myself and looking at interest-only mortgages, looking at repayments, things like that. Obviously, stamp duty. So me, me, two that me, me one after me world well title. I actually bought it from me dad. That was something for me. I'd like taken me dad out of you know his, his house. That was it. That it was in which oh my, me saying was like a man cave. So what my dad lived on his own and it was like a man cave, um, rouge It's Not not very modern, but my dad doesn't care. So obviously I put them in this house and everything's modern and, you know, everything's neutral creams. And yeah, that that was something for me, thing that, right, well, I've, that's my dad done now. So I know he's, you know, yeah, I think my dad was in rented accommodation. I think he was, wait, he's been waiting for a year for them to put a, put a gas pipe in. His kitchen, he hasn't had a cooker for like a year. You know, so that, that was that was my thing of like looking after my dad, knowing my dad's settles and comfortable.
0: When I'm able to, I'm gonna come up and see you and we're gonna discuss um how we properties perform better because there is as you've now read this book, and I'm so glad you did, because it is a great book, but it does also allow you to explore where your equity is at and how it can perform better for you. Even if we created you a property company and you took out 75% loan to value mortgages on these, and even if they are worth 60 grand and you're taking out 75%, which is what, 45,000 pounds. If you've got two of those and I can put out 90,000 and I can buy you another four, even at a profit of say 300 pound a month, that's gonna be another 1,200 quid. 100%
1: 100% but like I said if you've got someone there saying right well do this and I'm going to be thinking well hang on a minute how that, does that that's when I think you've, you've got to look at yourself and teach yourself.
0: Yeah you do and I think you know I think you've, you've got the right ideas and I'm not necessarily saying that you need me to do this for you I think you just now need someone like me to help you suggest
1: yeah, exactly.
0: And I absolutely love the fact that you've done your map exams. Does that mean, you know, after boxing in like, what, four, five, six years' time, whatever it might be, you're going to become a financial partner of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's
1: what I mean. i were like, I, at one stage, I thought, oh, I could do that. And then I got halfway through it and like, I changed onto to something else, but it was more because I was looking at these mortgages and I didn't understand percentages and variables. So I thought, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to... I'm gonna do that, but um,
0: it's fine. <laughs>
1: I've lost, I've lost interest in that now.
0: <laughs> All right,
1: very Um Just getting back to that, it, it now I understand what you talk, you're talking about. Then I'm like, yeah, Lee, help me, you should point me in the right direction. But whereas before, you're, you're on about equity and taking money out of here, and you're thinking, oh, I don't well, I don't understand how, I don't understand. Hang on a minute, I don't want to be getting myself in debt when you're not really.
0: No, good. I'm glad that penny drops now.
1: (laughs) Finally, yeah.
0: So, in your opinion, why is getting property so right to young boxers? You said you bought your first property, was it at 20?
1: 20 hours, yeah.
0: Okay. And your motivation was homes under the hammer. Um, (laughs) How do we encourage other young talents like yourself also being other inspirations but to focus on getting onto the property ladder
1: so from my experience it all just comes with age and life life experiences and things like that so going back like I said I got on the squad when I was 18 and then you just you get I was getting paid more than what 40 year old people were getting who'd been through uni who'd been I had no working for their company. So I was, and like I said, it was tax free. So I was probably coming out more than what most people were. And, you know, you live at home with your your mum, and it's like, right. Well, cars, clothes. And then I see it now, even with, with, with lads and girls on on the squad. And now they've got brand new cars, Q5s, things like that, all the nice clobber. And then, like for me, I remember thinking, "Well, it's pointless. It doesn't last forever with anything. The worst thing you could buy is a brand new car because as soon as you drive it out the showroom, it's lost twenty five percent of its value." So I think that's when, obviously, watching homes in the have and having it drilled into me that how it's an investment and how it grows and over time you can you can you know double your money by doing it up and things like that, and you've got an income if you've got tenants in. So, and I've always been aware that sport doesn't last forever. I think I've done really well, really, really well. I'm, I'm 30, I'm 30 next month. I've boxed since the age of 11. And I'm under no illusion that my time's coming to an end. And But even, I don't want to be that woman who's late 30, still ploughing away, still, you know, face all messed up at, I, there's other things I want to do with my life. I want a family. Like my me, um, me, me maternal clock's ticking. One of my good friends has got kids and she's like, mm, your maternal clock's ticking, you can't go on forever. And I think, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's right. You, know, you can go on forever. It's, not, it's a bit different for the men, but for women, it's, it's one of those things.
0: When you was 18, training with team movies, were there other people around you talking to you about what you could maybe do with your money, with your wages?
1: No, no, not at all. When I got a bit older before I left, they just started bringing in people like that. Mm. But it's one of them, if you're training three times a day, you don't want to take time where you'd probably be having a sleep, ready for the next session, to to go and sit in the classroom for an hour and listen to someone bang on. Because I wouldn't, if you're not interested in that and, you know, you've got the coaches saying, you've got to go and do this. You've got to go and sit in this lecture. Do you know I'd be thinking? no, oh, I want to get back. I want to have my dinner.
0: I get that. And because and you've been really supportive with, I know you've obviously watched some of the, the workshops and the webinars and yeah, yeah. The, the education stuff. You actually introduced me to a who was education patient of boxing, and he actually asked for me to send over a copy of the workshop that we did, and he absolutely loved it. He said, right, that's it. How do I get you into these boxing gyms? I'm like, well, look, you, you just tell me and we'll map out a plan. But then it didn't really come of anything. And I know you were really behind that. Is property some form of conversation, even though you're, you know, as you said, you're 29, 30 next month, do you talk about property in the gym now with your fellow athletes?
1: No, no, not really. But I've got friends who I'd, I'd try and, if they asked me, or I'd be like, oh, well, if I was you, I'd do this type of thing. But getting back to the whole doing it with boxers or footballers, mm. for instance, if I didn't know you and you just come in the gym and started banging on about it, I wouldn't kind of, I'd like to say I'd listen, but I probably wouldn't. But if I had someone like, I don't know, another athlete who'd done it and come in and went, look, a football, like a a football and be like, look, I thought everything was hunky-dory. I got injured. My whole football career was out, whatever, finished. And I had nothing to fall back on, but I had this little bit of savings and I wish I'd have done it 10 years ago. You know, someone who's been there, done it, thinking, look, you can't just rely on your talent all the time because you might not get to where you want to be. I think that would work better for me personally
0: yeah, no i think listen i think i think that's a really valuable point i mean on the flip side of that we've spoken to a lot of athletes and if i think if a, say for example a footballer came in and said that if i think the rest of the squad would look around so oh, hang on a second you were you were only playing last season so what how much do you actually know about this whereas i guess i've come from a 20 years of property background because my dream was always to become a professional athlete as well. Obviously, it didn't work out for me, but I attacked the business side so aggressively and focused, focused on my career in property, which has got me to where I am today. And, and the stuff that we, we provide, it's quite basic. It's quite simple. It's very clear. And mm-hmm. it's related to sports people about a property, property company and building up a passive income. I've seen it firsthand how it can motivate a sports person, in whatever the sport, and we've done stuff with like TGB now and obviously rugby and cricket and football, and hopefully in boxing. But I actually think it gives someone else more, more focus off and away from sport. So, I mean, the training you do is clearly so intense, but yeah. you get much time off. Even as well do you get time off and time away and time to you.
1: I do, but like I said, I'm the, I'm the type where I'm constantly thinking, I'm constantly, right, what's my next move?
0: So, before, so say, for example, it was either me or someone else that came into a workshop with the, the crowd at the gym and we were, you know, banging on about property. Would you not be, I reckon, within 15, 20 minutes of listening to that workshop, you would feel motivated and because you were do i you'd be like, I'm doing this yeah uh-huh. I yeah i just encourage you to go right i'm going to have a plan now and because you're a doer you will do it and then suddenly you've refinanced those couple of assets that you've got within six months you bought three or four and you're in a property company where you've loaned your own money to that company it's now turning over another 10 15 grand a year which you're seeing some serious personal profit from which you can then So we've not even spoke about the benefits of a property company before you and I, have we? (laughs) But we're going to do it. And I think that you're going to really jump on board because you know, as well as I do, you will do it. Um, And and I've never represented you with with your four assets in the past. I know, you know, we've had many conversations about my advice and different ideas and plans. But because you are a doer, you get on when you do it and you're buying in the northeast where you've got a lot of area knowledge, you've got some content and it's very comfortable with you. And I've got nothing but admiration for what you've done because it's exactly the right thing to be doing, but the tax benefits are laying somewhere else and the equity needs to be pulled out of your assets right now, chucked into something else where for you to be personally thinking about in 10 years time when you're a a mum, you know, probably exploring, (laughs) exploring a new career for yourself you've still got that passive income coming in from the portfolio um what? what are your next property plans savannah
1: so at the minute like i said i do uh, like i said i've had a couple of bad experiences with bad tenants mm. so i'm not gonna lie it has put me off yeah and i'm at the point now where i want to explore different things so i have always got that option to go back into it and get more, whatever, and obviously like the knowledge from you. But I'm um, at the minute I'm wanting to, uh, I'm wanting to break into sports. I'd like to have my own gym. I'd like to have my own gym. I quite like st- I like strength training, and everyone's into CrossFit mm. that type of thing. So I'd like to break off into in, in, in that side. So you know, maybe going into the commercial looking at the commercial properties, things like that. And I've had a little look and I have seen that you can you can rent, you know, big warehouses cheaper than what you would for a little you know, a little high street space.
0: Mm, okay. you know, that,
1: that's a lot of that's a lot of what people are doing now, especially the CrossFit is are Yeah, yeah,
0: definitely. I think it's a really clever idea, you know, I think that with with savings, with funds, um, you don't necessarily have to buy a load of properties. You can apply them and invest in them into businesses. And I think, if I'm honest, um, looking at you and your personality, I think you you're, you you're to invest in yourself is definitely the right way of going about it and prepare for those next sort of four or five years and the spread that takes you. But I think have got a great future, Savannah. I think we all know that. And listen, you're nowhere near looking at retirement. Um but thank you so much for coming on Talks Law Property. You've had a fantastic career today. Long may it continue. And I, look, I very much look forward to being part of it as too, as well.
1: Yes, yes. We need to meet up when this uh, COVID's over.
0: We do. Give it a few months. I'll be there. Don't worry. Savannah, thank you for coming on Talks Law and Property. It's great to see you. I'm glad everything's going well for you.
1: Thanks for having me. Honestly, it's, honestly I've really enjoyed it. It's been brilliant. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Talk Sport and Property. Visit the App Store and download the MPH Sports app today or keep up with us over on Instagram.